0: This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration how to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to SarahRaven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow Coquita Range, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and today I'm joined by Gary, who you've met several times before now. So Gary Newell is our senior horticultural buyer and. I hope that you'll have gathered from the episodes that I've done with him before. He's quite a lot younger than me and he has quite a different sort of outlook on gardening than me with sustainability absolutely kind of at its heart. And I always love chatting to Gary because it makes me think about things in a slightly different way. Anyway, today we thought being sort of late summer into autumn. It's a time where I personally think climbers become incredibly important to the glamour of a garden because a lot of the sort of classic herbaceous perennials and sort of summer perennials, dalphiniums and the roses and the sweet peas, all that kind of stuff is either looking tired or has actually gone over. Whereas really quite a lot of climbers are reaching their peak. And so we thought it was a really good, relevant subject to this time of year as the seasons are beginning to change. So, Gary, I thought we would do our list of 12, which people seem to the feedback is that people love us uh, to give them a very potted list rather than too extensive. And so, shall we run through the year and start with spring and then move on to summer, autumn, and winter? And so, maybe you could kick us off with your favorite climber for spring.
1: Yeah, certainly. Okay. So, I'm going to start off with a lanicera, yeah. a honeysuckle. Um, I've spoken about honeysuckles before in on one of our podcasts, but this one is slightly different because it's called Chickachock and it is a dwarf lonicera, mm-hmm. So, ideal for. I think most gardens, urban gardens, even country gardens, or containers possibly. But the great thing is, it's not one of these dwarf plants that you see in garden centres that have just been reduced to like a, a blobby format. It, it was it still has its wild mm. format to it, so it will sprawl and go out amongst other plants and drape over containers. It hasn't been shrunk down too much, where it just looks like it's been made in a factory a bit. I think so. It's still got that wild look to it, which I love. Um, but it won't exceed four foot. So ideal for most gardens, I think.
0: Yeah. Do you know, Jonathan Buckley, who's the photographer that I'm sure, uh, well, Gary certainly knows, but I'm sure uh, any of you who've listened to the podcast before will know that I've worked with for 26 or seven years now. He was here at the weekend and we actually have shot a fragrant path collection. And in it is a dolly tub full of Lannistera chicken chalk. And it's it's just such a good plant isn't it because as you say it doesn't it's not been pigmified it kind of has got this sort of grace of a of a fully fully blown honeysuckle that you would grow on a wall which actually i'm coming on to my recommendation but it is really so it's got elegance but it's really compact and so it's absolutely perfect
1: the colors are, are really great as well worth yeah. mentioning the colors because there's that plum and white flower that yeah. Develops into a kind of apricot gold color over time, and then you've yeah. got almost like a, a glaucus blue foliage as well that comes with it, and just yeah, a really nice mix of shades there as well.
0: Yeah, 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 I totally agree. So mine for spring, I'm going to do a little cheat because I've got a half one, which is another honeysuckle, <laughs> and I particularly love Belgica. So this is tagging on to Gary's Liniceria, which tends to flower the first. Here we find and you know we sometimes can start picking this for the kitchen table here in April even earlier sometimes in a mild year and you walk in to the kitchen here which is quite a big room and you feel like you're in a hedgerow it's just such a lovely lovely plant so but that is more rangy it's not like chicken chalk um you know it's it's a fully blown big honeysuckle so you want to have a decent sized wall or we actually grow up through a hedge here and over an arch and it it's not it's not sort of compact or neat and tidy. It's it's quite sort of rangy, but it's wonderful. But anyway, that's only my half because i I'm, I want to just mention the spring flowering clematis. And everybody loves to hate the clematis montanas. But I fell in love with them when I first started gardening when I was 24, 25, living in West London, working at the Charing Cross Hospital, and I inherited an apple tree in my garden. And the thing is, it was really lovely. It was wonderful at blossom time and at fruit time, but it was a bit boring. It was quite a late flower. So it flowered in sort of May into June and it was quite boring before. So the leaves came, but then there wasn't very, there was quite a pause. And so I grew the Clematis montana alba up through it and you've got these lovely, great sort of almost cosmos like white flowers just sort of cascading out and it, it really just transformed that corner of the garden from, you know, often in London, April, but certainly into May. And then the apple blossom came and then the fruit later. But I, I really loved it. And it's, it's kept a special place in my heart because it was one of the first plants I ever bought and grew. So what about summer for you, Gary?
1: Summer, I'm just going to pick up on another clematis. from what you just said there is a clematis called Blue River. Mm, uh, I think you've grown a perch for a couple of years now yeah. I'm going to mention it because I think it's a great companion tomato. and by that I mean it's one for growing through other plants yeah. so it doesn't actually cling or a rambler it doesn't have the tendrils which as the other benefits is really good for cutting as well um, so that's a nice one to actually include with something like the chicka chop or your uh, belgica linister as well which could ramble up through the more woody stems and give you that interest yeah. when they, possibly the lunches aren't at their best as well. Just extend that some.
0: Yeah. Really, really good. Okay. Uh, can I do a half? Cause that's reminded me of another one, but that wasn't, I'm, che- <laughs> I'm, I'm cheating again. Cause that wasn't my main one for summer, but my clematis, and it's funny, so many people say clematis and some people like me say clematis, but ah, I don't know which is better or, or I mean, not better, but right. Anyway, I absolutely love for summer one we have here on big metal teepees in the Oast Garden and it's called Madame Julia Coravant and the reason I love it is just as our rather wonderful and abundant rose called Cerise Bouquet goes over, Clematis Madame Julia Coravant comes out and she keeps going until the dahlias take over the colour baton in late August and she just honestly does flower, I would say, from the last week of June right the way through to the end of August, even longer. And a very beautiful sort of plum, crimson-purple colour. And um, she is self-clinging, goes up over these frames, and we actually have three of her throughout the Oast Garden to give us this wonderful vertical emphasis. So that's my half, but my proper one for summer which I don't think enough people grow if they have a building that they want to cover, like a garden shed or something. And I'm not going to talk about the kangaroo vine, but I'm going to talk about Capsis radicans, which when we arrived here um, on the barn was this campsis radicans growing up and over the barn roof at sort of 60 foot. And unfortunately we had to cut it back because uh, w- we retiled the roof and we when we restored the barn. But we left the root in and it's come back. And it's just at, in August, it's covered in these rich tubular flowers. They literally look like a sort of trumpet. And they're incredibly glamorous and exotic looking. Not 100% hardy, so definitely something for planting in quite poor soil, a bit of rubbly sort of builder's rubble on the south face of a building. But yeah, it, it's done really well here and it's got these extraordinary suckers. So it literally sticks itself to the red brick wall here and just gradually it's encasing the wall in, in a very lovely way. But it's not like ivy. It doesn't get into the crevices. So I think campsus radicans is a really lovely plant. So back to you, Gary, for autumn.
1: Well, I, I'm still in summer, oh, sorry. actually. <laughs> You're still in summer. I'm, doing I'm going to enjoy summer for a bit longer. There's the climbing hydrangea, Petillaris, which I think is there, as I mentioned, it does begin flowering early summer and will keep on going all the way up to autumn before it loses its leaves and you get the lovely yellow leaf in autumn then. But mm. the main interest is through summer when you get the white lace cap flowers mm. on the, the plants, which are self-clinging as well with their aerial roots. Mm. Um, just like you to mention with with the campus as well. It's a great one for shade as well. I remember mm. it was always a plant I would recommend for anyone that would cover a north-facing wall. Yeah. It takes probably takes three to four years to really get established and start growing away. But when they do, they're just easy to maintain and look after themselves. And there isn't much else that you can find that will perform as well as they do and flower yeah. on a really dark, shady wall.
0: So true, so true. Famously, at Sissinghurst, on the top lawn, as you go from the top lawn into the rose garden, there's a hydrangea pitularis there that I think Vita planted, and it's climbed up the whole uh, sort of right hand of, of the gate into the rose garden and climbs up and over the arch. And the thing I love about hydrangea petiolaris is it's equally lovely, I think, in winter, because it has these very elegant, lacy seed heads, which I've got it around a window here And when you look out of the window, um, particularly if it's sort of slightly backlit, you just see this beautiful lacy pattern of the seed heads all around the window. And it almost looks like sort of the lace curtain has extended out onto the walls on the outside. But yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, if I was to pick one climber for a north wall, it would have to be hydrangea petularis. So do you want to knock on with autumn, Gary?
1: Um, okay, so autumn colour. Let's look at autumn colour. I think parts which are often overlooked for ornamental reasons is uh, vitis, vitis, mm. like vinifera, ornamental grapevines, because we've got one in the range this year called Specially Red, mm. which is a special selection from the Specially Gardens in Worcestershire. And it's renowned for how red the foliage grows really fiery red foliage throughout the autumn months, and also the benefit of producing grapes. Mm. Outside it doesn't need to be under glass at all. So two benefits from it. Uh, quite a large plant as well. So if you've got a pergola or uh, you know, a canopy coming from the house, and that's perfect for covering that. Mm. Um, great for making wine, I hear. Yeah.
0: Gosh, brilliant! Okay, well we haven't got that here. I must put that on our shopping list. Um, so we plant it. That sounds really good. So I've got another vitis, and uh, I love my husband dearly, but I'm really cross with him about Vitis Cognetii because Vitis Cognetii has leaves the size of lily pads. They're massive and I planted one when we first restored the Oast House here going up what's called the green stage which is the balcony outside an Oast and it just was the most wonderful thing because of course it's very vigorous and it completely covered the balcony with these extraordinary mix of in the autumn, scarlet, red, crimson, green, ochre, ah just incredible sort of tapestry of colours. Anyway, he hated it because he said it blocked his view. So (laughs) it was chopped down and I've never quite forgiven him. We chopped it down to the root and it has come back and has been trained to be slightly better behaved. But I really miss it because it, it just... Yeah, it gave you this incredible curtain of colour. But we have instead planted in big ex-animal water troughs up on the green stage, up on the balcony there, Cabea Scandens. And I know we're mainly talking about perennial climbers, but I just couldn't m- miss mentioning the cup and saucer plant, which I bang on about a hell of a lot. It's a tender perennial or short-lived perennial. In hot countries, it's totally perennial. But we have it planted in these water troughs, And it cascades down, if you don't give it a climbing frame, to about the same height as it would climb up if you gave it a frame. And that is, from the green stage, about 30 foot. And it's quite spectacular, covered in little cups sitting on their saucer. Or it's also called Canterbury bells, I think, or certainly church bells, various other names. It looks just like a bell. And yeah, it's a wonderful plant and I'm sure I've banged on about it enough. So if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you'll have heard me. But the cup and saucer plant needs sowing in January and February and you mustn't miss it. It has to get to six foot, either long down or up before it flowers. And so that's why you sow it in January and February. Any others for autumn before we move on to winter, Gary?
1: There's one I just want to mention, which comes into berry in autumn. And uh, so it's got really nice foliage through summer, but the berries, it's from something called Ampelopsis. Now I'm going to have a go at the species name. It's Brevi Pendunculata. Yes. So it's a variegated Ampelopsis. And you'll get lots of cream, green, and pinks in the foliage through summer. But come the autumn, you get the most amazing turquoise, almost petri colored berries, which are just amazing. And you don't see it in more. Than it should be. Yes. It's, it's a fantastic plant and really easy to grow and control. It's not like the vitis that we spoke of before, even huge space. It's one that will die down to the roots every winter and come back from the base, so it controls the height quite easily. You can expect probably eight foot at max from it. It's quite nice for the more uh, smaller garden as well but if you have something unusual I I highly recommend it. I
0: totally agree Ampelopsis brevi pedunculata it's a good name isn't it and um, I remember it's in my first book the cutting garden book because funnily enough quite a few gardens including um, one of a friend of mine have it in Hastings and I think it's because it quite likes coastal life uh, or it certainly puts up with coastal life and the the berries look like little tiny chocolate eggs or sort of mini thrushes eggs don't they they're this incredible blue with these darker spots all over it absolutely beautiful I I totally agree much underused so then on to winter this my one actually flowers in summer but I think it's so useful uh, for winter which is tracheospermum jasminoides and Do you know, I didn't know it tolerated shade until recently. And I did a podcast on scented plants with Jo Fairley, who's a great scent expert. And she told me that tracheo she has in a really shady spot in her garden. And it actually goes red in the winter in the shade, whereas she has it in a sunny spot and it stays green. And so the sort of leathery evergreen leaves turn this beautiful red hue on her north-facing wall. And so I think as a winter climber, you've got to be quite sheltered. I'm afraid you probably need, need to be sort of just about southern England, I would say, not 100% hardy, but uh, a well-worth plant for winter colour as well as that incredible characteristic jasmine scent for summer months.
1: I think you can probably get away with it. Do you? I do know that they are evergreen, but they will act as a semi-evergreen. They'll just drop their foliage if it's really cold and they will start growing again come the summer.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: so, okay. I, I wouldn't be put off if you feel like you're slightly in a frost pocket or anything like that, because they are quite resilient. Oh, sure. good.
0: Good. And do you have one for winter, Gary?
1: I have. It's it's not exactly a climber. It's a wall trained shrub that I want to talk about called Ribes loricifolium Amy Doncaster. Mm. It's another a new variety that we've got in the autumn range this year. Partly because I really enjoy training shrubs, uh, especially on walls, and being able to fan them out. It's almost like topiary and you're taking your time to tie them in and create a lovely fan shape. But the benefits of that are obviously you're getting more sunlight onto the plant, which gives you more flowers eventually. Mm. And the best part of this ribes is when it flowers, it's firing late winter. So it's essential for the bees that come out early in the year to collect the nectar from them. And you'll mm. find that because there isn't much around at that time of the year, they'll be drawn to it and it'll be a real hive of activity. And it's a lovely plant, so it's like a, a pale green uh, flower on the leathery, dark green leaves, which have this dark red underside to them. Plenty of interest there. It just takes a bit of time to obviously tie it in and train it as a fan, but five, six years, you have a real nice specimen.
0: Oh, great. Oh, I don't know that. I'm definitely going to try that. And uh, Gary, I want to just quiz you before we finish on one final um, winter into spring, so back right the way through the annual cycle, of one of the quinces, because you're very keen on your wall-trained shrubs. So one of the kinomalies I know you particularly like. And if it isn't jumping you into it, um, without any warning, will you describe your favorite kinomalies?
1: It's crimson and gold is the one that I prefer. I think I've mentioned it before in one of our podcasts. So you get the scarlet flowers on there, but you also still get the Japanese quince produced on it as well. Yes. Uh, It's a species, so so you do still get the fruit and it's usable fruit as well to make jams with. But especially nice because it's uh, some of the new hybrids are not quite as well strong growers I I guess they've been growing for certain colors but this one it's it's an original variety and it's very strong
0: fabulous and I think that is a good place to end because we're back to sort of into the autumn and one of the things about quince is, of course, they're incredibly beautiful. Those wonderful, they used to be called japonica when I was a trial, those wonderful sort of Japanese sort of drawing, um, print-type flowers. And then you get the, the great shape against a wall. And then with this variety, you get the fruit. And what you want to do with the fruit is to pick two or three. And if you've got somewhere warm in your house, like if you've got a shelf above a radiator or perhaps you've got an open fire or a wood burner, or whatever, and you put two or three fruits above that, so they get warm when the when you've lit the fire. Your whole room will fill with this absolutely characteristic sort of fruity cross vanilla kind of fragrance and. I can walk into a room and just know immediately that someone's got quince there and it's just the most um, incredibly nostalgic smell for me from when I was a child because we used to spend quite a lot of time in Italy and in the autumn you'd go out into the garden and there'd be loads of uh, quince not harvested and just crushed underfoot and it would give you that intense scent but also don't leave them unharvested because there's nothing more delicious to eat with cheese than membrillo and it's so easy to make which is basically slow, long-cooked quince with sugar and cinnamon. And the one thing you need to know if you're going to make membrillo, which I thoroughly recommend, is wrap your hand with a tea towel when you're stirring it because as it reduces and reduces down, it becomes so thick. It's like sort of almost fruity concrete, but it splatters and splashes. And, ooh, I've burnt my hand quite badly with one of those in the past – so, once it gets reduced and it's sort of coming away from the sides of the pot and has gone a sort of wonderful, almost like terracotta cinnamony, brownie colour, then it's almost ready, but it'll start to splatter and splash. Then wrap your hand in a tea towel and then you just pour it out into a baking tray lined with baking parchment or whatever, just oiled lightly, and leave it to set overnight. And then you can cut it into the most delicious cubes. To have either a, as a sort of jam in the morning with your toast, or even better with savoury things like salamis and hams and things, and best of all, perhaps with cheese. So those are our pick of our year-round best, mainly perennial, a uh, permanent uh, climbers for your gardens. And thank you, Gary, as ever. That That's was okay. um, I learned a huge amount from you, and um, yes. Gary's off on holiday, so I hope you have a lovely holiday, Gary, and I hope any of the rest of you are off on holiday. Also have a wonderful time. Thanks for listening to Grow, Cook, Heat, Arrange. The next two weeks, I'm joined by a Dutch friend of mine who is somebody who's taught me so much about bulbs almost more than anyone else kareen von boxtel she's a dutch garden designer and her specialism really is naturalizing bulbs for planting in the autumn to get beautiful flower studded grass and swards and the edges the sort of under the hedge kind of woodland edge and so that's the next couple of weeks so see you then You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.